All right, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat. Only when you've met someone. Um, Welcome. Good morning. So glad you guys are here. Uh, Do me a favor. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 11. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. But Nehemiah chapter 11. That's where we'll be at today. Let me kind of update you. So this is officially our last Sunday at Hammock Point Elementary. Uh, We're back to Quiet Waters Elementary next Sunday, 10.30, same time, our original place. So next Sunday, where are we? Quiet Waters Elementary. We're going to post that, email you about that. We just want to remind everyone where we'll be next week, Quiet Waters Elementary. So excited to have kind of our school back and uh, I, I think the AC should be, should be like brand new, so maybe it's a little cooler there. It'll be great. Um, also, today, let me just remind you and kind of catch up to speed. Today is our back-to-school bash. So first of all, let me just thank you guys. Thank you for making a backpack, bringing a backpack, packing the supplies. We know it takes time and energy and money and, and effort, so thank you. Uh, those backpacks are actually going to kids in Haiti and Boward School kids. Actually, uh, we'll give them primarily to Quiet Waters and see if we have some leftovers. So just thank you so much for making a backpack. That was awesome. So appreciate you guys and your heart to serve. That is so cool to me. Um, Also, today after service, this is kind of, if you remember, I mentioned this last week, um, we might have some young kids in here. We're so glad you're here. Uh, This is our back-to-school bash, and this school only gave us, uh, like, one room or two rooms. So it's a little different. We don't have the full kids' classrooms this week. So as I promised, uh, this message will be a little bit shorter. You're like, I'll I'll believe it when I see it. I know. Um, But it should be. In theory, it should be. Uh, But we're glad you're here. We're going to end outside with some pizza, games, um, just some goodie bags. Just a good time for the kids. So just an honor. And I think it's more for the parents. Back to school is here. Yes. Our kids, we we loved you. but We love you over the summer, but we're glad you're back at school. Um, All right. Nehemiah chapter 11. That's where we're at today. Let me, like I said, catch you up to speed because I know that sometimes we go, what happened last week? So um, next week we are finishing Nehemiah. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 11 and 12 today, kind of like an overview. Um, Here's what's been going on. I don't want to forget this. And especially as we come towards the end of this book, I think it's good for us as a church to kind of review. Why did we go through this? What's kind of the hope of this? Here's a guy named Nehemiah who's living in the palace. He's the right hand of the king. And he goes, my city is in ruins. It's broken down. This is not okay. We need to do something about it. So God gives him this vision to go and rebuild the city, to rebuild its walls so it can be safe and have a healthy economy again. And so that he rebuild the city and people start moving back into the city and the king provides for his needs. And it's an unbelievable work of God. The wall was built in 52 days. People are moving back in. We're going to see that in today's chapter as well. Uh, we see that there's opposition time and time again. We see that there was like a revival breaking out because the people rediscovered the word of God. There was a hunger again for the word of God. The people cried out, bring out the book. We want to know God's word. What does he say? What do we need to change? How do we need to adjust our lives? And so there's this hunger for the word of God. And there's this deep revival kind of happening. And we talk about, and here's why we do this every week to review, once you kind of know where we are. But for us, we want to be a church that will have holy ambition. Paul said in Romans 15, 20, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not selfish ambitions. 
How do we say, God, we want to join you in your work? We do want to be a church that plants other churches. We want, to, we want to be a church that grows healthy followers of Jesus and sends healthy followers of Jesus. How do we do this? And we're trying to explore this and say, God, you did this work. You used a guy named Nehemiah and you used a group of people. But at the end of the day, God, you're, this is your work. You're the hero. Do this again. And so we're, we want the, this kind of this to be stirred up in our culture. So let me kind of remind you recently what we've been going through. As I mentioned, Nehemiah chapter 8, there's a great revival happening around the word of God. In Nehemiah chapter 9, the people are so convicted of their sins. They have the longest recorded prayer in the Bible is in Nehemiah 9. The longest recorded prayer in the Bible. And basically in Nehemiah 9, if you remember, we circled and boxed things. And it was like, they're saying, God, you're so good and we're so sinful. Over and over again. God, you're so faithful and we're just, our hearts are wicked. Over and over again, they're just confessing their sins. And then in Nehemiah 10, last week's message, we looked at after they confess sins, they go, but today we're putting our stake in the ground. Things are going to change. And they made a covenant renewal. And so they took an oath of a curse and like a blessing on themselves to say, God, everything we've read in your word, we now want to do. And we identified those four areas of change they wanted. And so we looked at covenant renewal. Now here's where we're at today. Chapter 11 and 12, essentially people are moving back and actually, this is now the ceremony where they dedicate the wall. This is now the celebration in chapter 12 where they're celebrating the fact that the wall was dedicated. And, and why wait so long? Uh, some seem to be unsure why they waited so long. Others just because they say, as they discovered the word of God, it was more important to confess and repent of their sin before they had a party. And I think this is so good for us. Um, listen, we have something to celebrate about. We do. But first and foremost, I think it's necessary for us to discover God's word, confess our sins, saying, Jesus, though none go with me, I'll follow, making that covenant, you and God. And then this idea, now let's celebrate. Let's celebrate all that God has done. Let's so slow down and shout and sing and rejoice and praise. We have something we're celebrating. And if you want to my heart just for today, because I know this is like the back to school bash in a sense, and I'm thankful kind of landed on the same text topic day, but to me, we do have so many things to celebrate, but most importantly, the work of the cross is finished, that Jesus paid the way, that Jesus paid for our sins, he paid my debt, that Jesus rose again from the grave, that Jesus conquered sin and hell and death, and we too have so much to celebrate. But notice it comes after the word, it comes after repenting, it comes after this covenant they're acknowledging between them and God, and now they're celebrating. And so that's where we're at today. We kind of want to look at just like the celebration that is happening. I'm going to really today do something a little bit different. I think you guys know this by now, but Nehemiah loves names. He loves to record names. He loves to say names. He loves to say the same names. Um, and here's what that reminds me of. Um, in case you ever feel like God, maybe you, no one sees me, no one notices. Trust me, God knows your name. He sees. He writes it down. We're not going to read that though. All right, so we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to read a couple verses. We're going to throw the verses up here. We're just going to read a few verses, literally a few verses today. Nehemiah chapter 11. We're going to look at verse 1 through 2. We're going to turn over to chapter 12, read verse 27, and read verse 43. All right, we're going to look at their celebration that's happening. And we do want to relate that to just us and what God is doing. All right, so let's read Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 1. Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem, the rest of the people cast lots to bring one of, out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. Then you're going to see a bunch of names of people who went to dwell in Jerusalem and those who went outside of Jerusalem. Chapter 12, let's pick up in verse 27. It says, now at the dedication, here's the dedication, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, 
they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. Verse 43, and also that day, they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Let's pray and we'll look at this more in depth. Father, we just, um, we do want to just thank you, slow down and thank you. Um, they celebrated a day God, where they can acknowledge the fact that you were faithful to your promise. You brought them back to Jerusalem, that people were moving back, that the city was set apart for you. It's a people set apart for you. And God, we want to celebrate the same thing, that you've called us out of darkness into your light, that here the people are, are a people, a kingdom set apart for you. God, we thank you so much that we can slow down and we need to remind us, God, show us how to slow down more. Show me how to slow down more and celebrate and thank you and praise you and sing and shout and rejoice. God, I just ask that you would just make us, let that be a part of our DNA, that we would be a people that celebrate, that we just celebrate you, Jesus, celebrate the work. And we just want to praise you and thank you now. And just we ask on this day for us that we can slow down and remember and reflect all that you've done. In your wonderful name, amen. Amen. A few years ago, I went to my first professional hockey game. It was the Montreal Canadiens versus uh, the Florida Panthers. Uh, growing up in Southern California, I just never really got into ice hockey. Moving here, I was very surprised there was an ice hockey team in like the hottest place in the world. I had no idea there was an ice hockey team here until I moved here. And so I we went to my first you know, game, and again, it was the Canadiens versus the Panthers. And I, someone brought me in. We're watching the game, and it takes a little while for someone to score. I think that's why I forget. Like, hey, this is hard for me to focus. But they finally scored. It was the Canadians that scored, and the crowd went wild. It was the opposing team that scored, and it was so loud in there. And I'm looking around, and I'm like, why is everyone cheering for the Canadians? And then it hit me. I'm like, we're in South Florida. There's more Canadians than there is Floridians. Like, this is crazy. And everyone's cheering for the Canadians. And then they scored again, and everyone's losing their mind. And, like, the Panthers scored. I'm like, Woo! Like, it's just so quiet. Like, no one cared. And it honestly blew my mind. I'm, like, talking to my buddy, going, what is going on? Like, I don't even care about hockey. I don't even like hockey. Well, everyone seems to be confused in this crowd. They're cheering for the Canadians versus the Panthers. Like, what is going on? And I bring all that up to say because sometimes I do feel like oftentimes in the church we can be confused, that we can celebrate things. And I'm like, why are we celebrating that? Why are we so excited about that? Now, no offense if this is you because it's partially me. I know that we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we get excited about some things that are fun, but they're not the most exciting things. You know, you think about, like, I remember when the Avengers movies coming out, people, like, lost their mind, like, waking up and, like, staying there, like, at 5 p.m. for, like, midnight showing. I'm like, what are you doing? Right? When Coldplay comes and plays a concert, the Jonas Brothers were here, they're back together, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Everyone's freaking out. I'm like, who cares? But everyone's, like, freaking out about it, and they're so excited, and, you know, the excitement is, like, their heart's, like, pumping, their blood's flowing. They're like, I'm in Nick Jonas's presence right now, and they're, like, freaking out. And here's what I'm trying to say. We get so excited about these things, and I feel like it's sad that sometimes we have to, God has to teach us, how do, how do I get excited about the things of God? How do I be enthusiastic just simply about God? 
I'm not saying it's wrong to get excited about those things. I'm saying, how do we have that same passion and enthusiasm? Just like you're excited to be in someone famous's presence, that we get to enter into the presence of God. And how does that make us go, God, this is absolutely incredible. There is nothing like this, that I get to enter into your presence and celebrate you and your work and what you've done. And I'm not saying that everything, every time must be this hyper-emotional thing, but I do think that there are times when we as followers of Jesus almost can look at emotion as bad. Where we can look at emotion as like, no, that's just for maybe those who are this way. That's just not me. And I think that we need to be a people again that actually have excitement, emotion, celebration of God and his work. Let me just point this out. They're in the midst of revival. If revival's happening, and I, you pray for that, we pray for that. We pray that God would do something new and fresh and there'd be a group of people that are getting saved and following Jesus and being discipled. Like we want to see that happen. Can I tell you, if that were to happen, I bet you and I would be celebrating a lot. I bet we'd slow down and thank God. Actually, one writer, his name is Martin Lloyd-Jones, and the funny thing about this guy is he's like this old school writer, author, who you think wouldn't have a lot of enthusiasm. Here's what he says. Here's what he writes. Uh, He says this. He says, a dislike of enthusiasm can be one of the greatest hindrances to revival. A dislike of enthusiasm can be one of the greatest hindrances to revival. You know, it is interesting how some of us maybe fear, like the idea of, I don't want to get overly emotional though with God. Like that's just not me. You know, when we're the same person who can lose our mind over a touchdown, but when we talk about God, it's like, eh. How do we get excited about things that matter? How do we celebrate things that matter? Again, all I'm trying to more describe is that people are slowing down to say, God, you've done a great work and bring out the musicians, and bring out the instruments, and bring out the sacrifices, and let's praise God, and worship, and sing, and they have two different choirs going on at once on different parts of the city, and they're just worshiping and praising God. So here's what we're going to look at today. Nehemiah 11 and 12, as we kind of just give a a little bit of an overview, here's what we're going to talk about. Number one is this, celebrating, chapter 11, we're going to see this, they're celebrating the settling, that people are staying. They're going to celebrate the sending, that people are going outside as well. They're going to celebrate the sacrifices that were made by the people for God, celebrating all the sacrifice that went into it. And they're going to see them simply celebrate the Savior. Celebrate who ultimately, the the true hero of the story. So let's just look at this, all right? Number one is this. Celebrate the settling. Look at verse one really quick. Nehemiah chapter 11, verse one. Look down, we'll read it again. It says, Now the leaders of the people dwelt at Jerusalem, The rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to dwell in Jerusalem, the holy city, and nine-tenths were to dwell in other cities. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offer themselves to dwell at Jerusalem. They blessed those who are willing to say, we are going to settle in Jerusalem. Here's the idea. Um, It wasn't very enticing to live in Jerusalem. Remember, they just rebuilt the walls. Some homes and other buildings are still broken down. There's still work to be done. The idea was when you're in a city back then, especially it's not like a big, strong city, city at this point, you're more open to people who could come in and loot and steal and hurt and destroy. People want to move outside of the city, have more farm, more land. They could maybe have more land and more you know, uh, vineyards and groves and different things to make money. They didn't really want to be in the city, but those said, no, we're going to be in the city. We're going to be in the community. We're going to dwell here. And they blessed those who willingly went there. Here's why I'm bringing this up. As followers of Jesus, this is the idea for us today. As followers of Jesus, we need those who long to have a faithful presence in our community. This is what Nehemiah 11 is showing us. They're like, look at the names of those who said, we will stay here. 
As followers of Jesus, our goal, our desire, is to have a faithful presence in our community. Amen? How do we actually say, if I'm here, I'm going to be here? If I'm living in South Florida, I'm going to give everything I got to this community. I'm going to love it. I'm going to serve it. I'm going to be in it. Again, I've talked to people, and this is, I don't want to hate on this, but it's like, man, I just don't want to live here in the city. It's just so sinful. I want to take my kids and like move to like the Carolinas or something. You're like, okay, I, I get that. But we, sh- we should not be those who like run from it. As followers of Jesus, we're here to run to it and seek to redeem it. We're not called to be isolated, necessarily move away. There might be times God calls us to do that. But we should be those who say, you know what? No, I live for the betterment of the city. I live for the betterment of the community. This is literally their desire. And I want this to kind of sink in a little bit. Because we might be here, but are we here? We might be physically here, but are we mentally here? Are we spiritually here? A guy named Warren Wiersbe said this. I just had to use it. So good. He says, as fall, or here's what, that's mine. He says, never underestimate the importance of simply being physically present in the place where God wants you. You may not be asked to perform some dramatic ministry, but simply being there is ministry. See, do we have roots deep down in this community? God's been challenging me on, do I know my neighbors? Do I know their names? Am I praying for them? Am I talking about Jesus? Um, Do I know the needs of my community? Do I know the needs of where we live? Am I actively seeking to meet those needs? You see, the idea of the people and saying, we're blessing you because you want to live in, God bless you. It's almost like, God bless you. You want to live in that wicked, broken down city. It's almost like the people are going, no, but this is so good. We need, we need believers again in that community. And church, we need believers in our community that are faithful and that are present. Not just present, but you're also faithful. Not just faithful like you have good integrity, but you're, you're there. You're mentally and spiritually there. I was asked this question a, a couple years ago. I was reading through a book, and we got brought up in a discussion. And the question was simply this. Are you planted or potted? Are you planted or potted? And the idea was, am I a tree planted by the river of water, or am I like a house plant that can be easily picked up and moved from room to room to place to place, from church to church, from home to home? You see, do I say, I'm going to live for the betterment of this community? I'm going to live betterment for the, of just Broward, of Palm Beach, of that community. I'm going to live for the better. I'm going to be fully there, fully present. You see, I think for so long, there's this idea of like I'm potted. I think the natural Christian culture, sad to say in America, is, oh, what's happening here? Let's go there. I don't like what's happening there anymore. Let's go here. I don't really like what's happening. Let's move. Like, how do we break that? How do we say, in good times and bad times, I'm going to be planted? I'm going to be like a tree planted by the room. I'm not going to be a pot moved from room to room within the same house, but I'm going to be planted. And this is, where, what, this is the hope, this is the desire, because I think that's how we can see long-ter- long-term change. This is how we can see families, not just like hit-and-run evangelism, but we can actually really meet people's needs this way. We can get to know our neighbors, get to know each other. You know, if we do view this more as a family, if we really do view this like a marriage or family, the idea is like, I'm in this. I'm in this for better or for worse. If there's something I don't like, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm in this. If there's something I prefer elsewhere, just, I'm in this. I'm fully in. But for us, again, the natural tendency is we're the, fra- we're the a fear of commitment culture. We're the fear of, like, I have to be all in. So here's my thing. Let's be planted. Let's be a group of people that says I'm for the betterment of this church, for the betterment of the community, betterment for the body of Christ, obviously, ultimately and globally. But we need to be those who have a faithful presence in any community. And that is the desire of the people, and they're blessing them. So here's what they're doing. We're celebrating the settling, the fact that these people wanted to stay. Now, not only that, 
but we want to celebrate the sending. We want to celebrate the sending. Look at number two, celebrate the sending. It's, a set, it's technically in chapter 11, verse 25 to 36, but it's the people actually just going into other cities, and it's just their names. And here's the idea. Um, we want this balance. How do we have a presence? How do we have a settling? But also, how do we send, and how do we send the right way? There's a way people leave, which isn't always right. There's a way people we send. We want to be a sending church. We want to be a church that invests into people, disciples people, and says, now go out and make disciples. We want to be a sending church as well. They went into the surrounding regions, and we want to celebrate those that are sent, and we want to send them well. And it's hard. Even as a young two-year-old church, in a sense, we've seen people move to New York and California and Colorado. We've seen people honestly move so many places in such a short time. But we want to celebrate that. You know, if God calls you out for work, if God calls you out for maybe a ministry call, we want to celebrate that when it's done and it's done well, but there's this idea of like, how do we send? Here's a guy named J.D. Greer who wrote, who wrote a book on the idea of sending. And let me just throw the quote up to you. It's so good. All right, listen to this. Here's what he says. He says, shifting. How do we shift? He goes, shifting from seeding capacity to sending capacity entails a fundamental shift in how we think about the mission of the church. Jesus' vision of the church, the kind of church that would besiege the gates of hell, did not consist of a group of people gathered around one anointed leader, but multiple leaders going out in the power of the Spirit. It's a claim that very few of us take seriously. Jesus literally said that a multiplicity of Spirit-filled leaders would be greater than his earthly bodily presence. Of all the miracles in the book of Acts, 39 out of 40, 39 out of 40 miracles were done outside of the church. Did we hear that last part? Out of all the miracles done in the book of Acts, it happened outside the walls of a, of a gathering of believers. He said, we got to go. We got to send. We got to raise up. We got to disciple well. We got to train well. We got to send. We got to go out. You see, I, I just, this, for us, it's simple. We look at Nehemiah 11 and we go, wow, people are staying in Jerusalem. They're moving outside of Jerusalem. And I think there's just a call for any church community to say, we want to have a, a good presence here. We want to be faithful. We want to be present. Not with longing eyes. Like, I can't wait till I can just finally retire into this state. Like, not like with longing eyes, but how do we be fully present? But also how to not, not just be present, but how do we be ascending church? How do we say we're going to be those who are sending? Now, here's number three. See, I told you to be a little bit faster today. Uh, number three. Number three, we want to be a church that celebrates the sacrifice. That celebrates the sacrifice. I'm going to throw up a few verses in chapter 12 because it's kind of spotty, this chapter, and I encourage you, please read it. Read it th all the way through. But celebrate the sacrifice. Look at verse 8. We'll throw the verse up here. It says, the Levites, notice all the praise. The Levites led the thanksgiving psalms. Verse 24, it says that they, to praise and give thanks, there's group alternating with group according to the command of David, the man of God. So this group after group praising God, like we'll praise God, you'll praise God, just back and forth ping-ponging. Uh, verse 27, again, it says, now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem. Why? To celebrate the dedication, what? Say this word, with gladness. Say gladness. Both with, say that word, thanksgivings, verse 27, and what? With cymbals and stringed instruments and hearts, harp, harps. <laughs> verse 31 says this, so I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. I want you just to see all the praise happening here, all the singing, all the rejoicing. There's two choirs on the wall. By the way, do you remember, do you remember the heckling they gave Nehemiah? Do you remember Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3? What Sanballat and Tobiah said about the wall? We'll throw the verse up here. Uh, they said, Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down the stone wall. 
Remember that like heckling? I don't know why that's like a, oh, got him. I don't know why that's so like, it's a good like, this right there. But like, even if Fox were to walk on their wall, it'd just fall apart. And then Nehemiah's like, put two choirs up there. <laughs> Not just one, throw another choir. Show them how strong this wall is. They're trying to just show God, look at what, look what you've done. People said this would never happen. People said it'd never work out. Look what you've done, God. Throw another choir. Group alternating with group. Ezra led a group, Nehemiah led a group, and they're going, let's just praise God. Let's just sing back and forth to God. Here, here's the idea. Uh, singing is mentioned eight times in this chapter. Thanksgiving, six times. Rejoicing, seven times. Musical instruments are mentioned three different times. Do we not, do we not see? Can I, can I just point this out, by the way? If, if you don't know this, I want you to think about this. You want to know what makes us unique as followers of Jesus? Singing. <laughs> this is so interesting to me. The fact that we are like a singing people from the very beginning when Adam sees Eve and he writes a poem. He's like, this is not bone of my bone, flesh of my, like that's a poem. It's a Hebrew poem. To David in the Psalms, to just throughout history writing hymns or different songs. God says, sing to me a new song. We're writing new songs still about God to this day. It's like a lover writing a, a song about the person he loves. <laughs> that's what we're doing as, as believers, as followers of Jesus. It's like we can't stop singing. Why? Because we're in love. There should be this idea, and honestly, if you study world religions, they do have some chanting, some have some singing, but no one compares to our singing. The amount of songs that's written, just the creativity in it, the different styles of it, just cross-cultural. It's un- like we are a singing people. Do you know that? Do you know that what separates us? We are celebrating people. We actually have something we're celebrating. We have the death and resurrection of Jesus. Worth cel- we celebrate that sacrifice. They're celebrating the sacrifices that people made, they have a lot to celebrate, but I want you to see this, that what separates us is, as followers of Jesus is seen, and I hope that is true here. I hope that is very true in our community. That we have something to sing about. We have something to rejoice, praise, thank God about. Amen? Because we have something to sing about. Let me just throw, throw up here a few things they are celebrating. Look what's happened so far in Nehemiah 11 through 12, or chapters 1 through 12. Uh, what to celebrate? First thing is this. Nehemiah secured King Artaxerxes' permission and resources to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That's worth celebrating. Two, Nehemiah developed a plan for building the walls. Good job, Nehemiah. Number three, Nehemiah inspired and defeated, uh, defeated and discouraged people. People were discouraged. He inspired them. Number four, the people overcame an enormous amount of opposition, some from enemies without and some from their own people within. Number five, the people completed the reconstruction of the wall in 52 days. That is worth celebrating. Six, the people experienced a national revival. 50,000 people going, bring out the book. We want to know what God's word says. Number seven, the leaders reorganized and repopulated the city. I mean, there's so much to celebrate. And, and I want us to like, take this for us. We have so much to celebrate. God has been so good. I think the natural fall of just like bent of our hearts, I'd say of my heart, I don't know if this is you at home, as a dad or a mom or just a friend or sibling or whatever it might be. But it is so easy to co- kind of go, okay, on to the next. God did something really cool, but what's the next thing happening? And can I just tell you, they're framing out celebrating. They built the wall probably maybe months ago at this point in time. And they're like, we still need to go back and celebrate. The wall was built. People, <laughs> the word of God was discovered. People repented. There's a covenant renewal. But you know what? We need to slow down and remember what God has done and let's celebrate. Can I tell you what, one of my favorite things as a church that what we get to do is baptisms? Because baptisms for us is this time we, it's an outward celebration of an internal transformation. 
Someone says, Jesus, I believe in you. I will follow you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for pursuing me, God. And I just, I love you. And I cannot wait to follow you with everything I've got. And I want to now celebrate that through baptism. And, and I want people to see that. I want people to know that I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I want them to see that I'm going to identify with you, Jesus, and your death and your burial and your resurrection. And I'm identifying with you in those ways. And when I look at baptism, I go, what a beautiful celebration of something God did internally. And I tell you, God was doing something and did something through them and in them internally, and now it was time to celebrate that externally. And, and sometimes maybe you feel like, I have nothing to celebrate. And it's like, well, has that work happened internally in you? Has God done that work? Has God b- brought you to that place of Jesus? There's, I want nothing else but you. And God's humbled you and grew you and decided, and you're like, I just want people to know I'm not ashamed. I want people to see this change. Here, here's the thing. They're celebrating all that God has done. They're celebrating the sacrifices of the people. And I, again, I do want to point out, I'm so blessed by this community. People sacrificing their time to, to make backpacks. Every week, people here time and time again to set up to tear down. It's unbelievable. People preparing through groups, preparing their messages, preparing the time for groups and discipling. The outreaches that happen just casually on a Saturday morning. The things that I'm seeing here, it's like, God, it's only you could, like, I want to celebrate and say, God, thank you for that. Thank you for those who, who work so hard who give, who want to be part of something much bigger than them, who want to be generous people. Like, it is unbelievable what God is doing. I, we have to sl- I have to slow down and celebrate more. My prayers, I feel like recently God's like, you need to, you need to be more thankful and stop asking. You need to, like, turn your prayers to God. Thank you. You've done more than enough. Your grace is enough. You've done more than enough. Just thank you. Here's the thing. They're just celebrating all that God has done. They're celebrating the sacrifices and the hard work. And can I point this out to you really quick? They're doing what Colossians 3.16 says. And here's what I mean by that. Let me just read the verse two. Colossians chapter three, verse 16. Listen to what it says. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching, admonition, one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This is so interesting. He's like, let the word of God dwell in you. And then he starts talking about praise and worship and singing in psalms and hymns. He's like, let the word of God dwell in you and let it turn into worship and rejoicing and singing and praising. Here's the idea. When the word of God is in you, it's going to produce that. Here's what's happening with them, right? Chapter eight, the word of God, they're repenting. They're doing the word. Now what are they doing? They're rejoicing. The word of God dwells in them richly. And it led to psalms and hymns and and singing and praising God. And let that be true of us. When the word of God just takes root in our soul, when it takes root in our spirit, let it lead to singing. You might be, I was once a really bitter, negative person, but the word of God dwells in me richly, and now I'm a praise person. I don't know, God has just done something, he's turned my life right side up, I have no idea, but the word of God dwells in me, and now I just can't stop at celebrating. There's a phrase in verse 43 that is very unique to the, the Bible, and I'll read it to you. It's, it's Nehemiah 12, verse 43. It says, Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. Listen to this phrase. So that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Everyone heard it. The people afar off heard their rejoicing. So they heard the choirs and the walls. People afar off heard this. Here's why I like this. This is only mentioned two other times in the Bible. 1 Samuel 4, 5. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by the Philistines, it's being brought back, like the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant was being brought back to the city, and David is dancing and singing, but it says the praise of the people was heard afar off. The praise of the people of Jerusalem was heard afar off. The other time, 
we see is when Zerubbabel was here to build the temple. And as he's laying that cornerstone, when the temple's finally being rebuilt, after being slaves in Babylon for 70 years and being slaves in Persia, and the temple's finally being rebuilt, it says the, the rejoicing of the people was heard afar off. And this is the third time we see it. Because they're going, we're finally back to where God has called us. We've repented. We've learned from our mistakes. And everyone's going to know about it. Everyone's going to know about the change that God has done in our lives. And there's something about worship. Why, when people come in, they go, what are you doing? Why do you raise hands or clap or sing? Or what is this? You're like, you need to know what God has done in my life. This is probably the only way I can express what God has done in my life, is just through song and rejoicing and celebrate. I don't know how else to do it other than sing. It's what a testimony it is to the people. And lastly, and this is the most important thing, and I want us to see this. Ultimately, they're not just celebrating their hard work. They're celebrating their Savior. See, it's Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 46. And we'll just look at the last phrase. It says, songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. What they're referring to, and listen, listen. They're saying David, Asaph, the psalm writers. There was great praise in that day, but we we got back to that. And, And we're seeing praise and thanksgiving to who? To God. Let me just point this out really quick. Who's the hero of Nehemiah? Not Nehemiah. Okay. Who's the hero? It is Jesus. It is God. God is the hero of the story. God is the one who put this vision in his heart. God is the one who gathered the people together that gave them a mind to work. God is the one that put in the king's heart to provide resources. God is the hero of Nehemiah. We have to understand something. At the end of the day, we're not, just, we're not celebrating ourselves. Worship is not for us. <laughs> Worship is for God to God. Worship is getting our heart fixated on the one who saved us and redeemed us. And here's why I say this. Nehemiah left the palace. Jesus left heaven and left glory. Nehemiah had this longing to restore the people. Jesus had a greater longing to restore the people. Nehemiah was a part of this great revival around the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. That leads to revival. Nehemiah may help make the people make a covenant renewal. Jesus says, I give you a new covenant. You see, Nehemiah says, I'm going to give you something to celebrate. Jesus says, I give you the best thing to celebrate. You see, Jesus obviously is the hero of Nehemiah. Jesus is the greater than Nehemiah. Jesus is the one we're reminded of when we read Nehemiah. Who took down our broken city, our broken lives, the broken people? Who made it new? Who restored it? Who brought new life? Jesus is the hero of Nehemiah. This city of Jerusalem that was broken down, Jesus says, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and it's called the New Jerusalem, and you will live in a city that will never be defeated. You'll live in a city where I rule, where I'm God. And you read the end of Revelation, the idea is just us in the presence of God in the new city of Jerusalem. Jesus is the one who's building that. He's the greater than Nehemiah. The whole point of this is for you and I to say, let us celebrate Jesus. Let us remember that every story in the Bible is here to remind us and bring us and point us to the person of Jesus. And we get to celebrate him. We're thanking him. We're praising him for the work he has done for us. Amen. We do want to just end our time with a little bit more worship. We're going to close out. I'm going to pray. We're going to have a little more worship, and then we're going to close with some closing thoughts and announcements, and and then we're going to celebrate too, all right? But let us pray, and let us bring our heart and our attention and our focus to Jesus at this moment. Let's pray. Father, um, God, we thank you that as your word says, you've given us a new song, that you put a new song within us. God, we thank you that years later, we are celebrating essentially the same thing, that what, that what was once in ruin is now restored. 
God, we thank you that you took our lives, you took our sin, you took our brokenness, and you made us new. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Savior, that you are the hero. God, we pray that this would not be about even our thoughts, how we look or feel, but that we would sing to you, we'd rejoice and celebrate you, that Jesus, we would not care about the people around us, but God, as we look at those words, read those words, sing those words, that God, our heart would be near as well, that we would not just honor you with our lips, but our hearts be far, but God, that everything that is spoken, that is shared, that is sung, would just be true. We thank you, Jesus. There is no one like you. God, we thank you that we can slow down and celebrate your work. God, we thank you for Nehemiah and the example it leaves for us. Let us be busy about building your kingdom. Let us be busy about seeing broken lives made whole. God, do something within us that only you can do. God, let us not just play games here. Let us not just try to be entertained here. We want to just surrender everything. Thank you, Jesus. We just want to sing to you now, praise you now, God. We thank you, Jesus, again for your work and your wonderful name. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's just close our time with some worship.